invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21, we're continuing our study of the ministry of Elijah and later Elisha. In 1 Kings 20, most of our focus is going to be on Ahab, king of Israel at the time of Elijah's ministry, but Elijah will surely show up in this passage. Now, as a bit of a background for us to understand what's happening in this passage, we need to understand some of the things that the Lord established in the nation of Israel after he delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. You see, When the Lord established the Israelite society, he put within the law certain bulwarks against the encroachment of tyrannical enslaving forces. These laws included things like the Sabbath that was aimed at freeing God's people from slavery to work. In the Ten Commandments that are recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, we read this about the command to observe the Sabbath. The Lord says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. We are not slaves to work. But one day a week we are to offer to the Lord a day of worship so that we might be free. Another way that the Lord sought to protect his people from slavery was limits on the amount of interest that was to be paid on debt. So we read in the book of Leviticus, this law, you shall not lend to him that is to the poor your money at interest nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You see, the people of God were not to use their financial resources and place of strength to enslave others to them by their debt. However, maybe the most powerful institution established in Israel to protect from slavery was what is called the inheritance. The inheritance was a plot of land that was given to each family in Israel in perpetuity. The land of Canaan was divided by tribes, then by clans, then by families. And to each family was given a piece of land, an inheritance. And by design, this land protected the people of God from being enslaved, from being owned and controlled by those with financial or political power. You see, this land was not to be permanently sold outside of the family. It was not to be taken. Rather, it was to be an unchanging anchor of stability, protection, provision, and freedom from slavery. The institution of the inheritance continues in the New Testament era, the age of the church, but now fulfilled in Christ. For on this earth, there is no plot of land that will provide absolute protection from slavery. 
However, through the work of Jesus Christ, a new land of promise has been won. A new and better Canaan has been assigned to those who are in Christ by faith, even the coming new heavens and new earth. The Apostle Paul explains it this way. He says, or rather the Apostle Peter says, according to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a way has been opened for us that when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, which is the deposit, the guarantee that we have a heavenly inheritance, that we have a place in the new heavens and the new earth, the new Canaan that Christ has prepared for us. And it is to this land that we must look for contentment in a world of disappointment. It is to this land that we must look for security when we are fearful. It is to this land to which we are going that we must find our freedom from the tyrants of this world. And in our passage for this morning, the institution of the inheritance is assaulted by Ahab, king of Israel. For he desires the inheritance of a man named Naboth. As we read this text, see how faithless Ahab is contrasted with faithful Naboth. For when Ahab is discontent, Naboth is satisfied. When Ahab is weak, Naboth is strong. And when Ahab is enslaved to his desires, Naboth is free, even from the fear of death. And what we will see is that if we would walk in contentment, strength, and freedom... We must trust in the inheritance won for us in Christ. So hear now the word of the Lord, 1 Kings chapter 21. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I'll give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread. Let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. 
So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth and his city. And she wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him, saying, you have cursed God and the king Then take him out and stone him to death. And when the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, like the house of Bashaw, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. And anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. O Lord God, we come now to your word and we pray that you would guide us by your word and your spirit. That in your light, we may see light in your truth. We might find freedom. And in your will, we might discover your peace to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I can imagine Ahab 
in his silken robes and his plush collar, lying on his bed, hugging his oversized pillow and pouting about not getting his way. Like old Baruch Assault from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Remember, she wanted the golden goose, but Wonka wouldn't sell it for any price. So what does spoiled Baruka do? She throws a temper tantrum. If I don't get things that I'm after, I'm going to scream. I want it now. The passage begins with Ahab wanting something that is not his. He looks out the window of his vacation home in Jezreel and sees a nice quaint vineyard on the adjacent property. There's a man working with skill and care the piece of land that had been given to his family for generations. To a man who has never worked for what he enjoys, the idea of Naboth and his vineyard are captivating. He sees the contentment in Naboth that he doesn't have. And he assumes that if he owned that field, he could get what he wanted. But there's only one problem. Naboth will not give him what he wants. So Ahab goes home and pouts. Why is he being so stubborn? I offered him more than that old piece of dirt is worth. I offered to relocate him and his family and give him an even better piece of property. He's just being spiteful. He doesn't want me to be happy. And so we read in verse 4. And Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father's. And he lay down on his bed, turned away his face, and would eat no food. Like a toddler who will not be given a second cookie, Ahab leaves in a huff and pouts on his bed. We know that Ahab's desires would not have ended with this vineyard, though. If Naboth would have given him the novelty of a vegetable garden, would have worn off rather soon. The reality of what that piece of property could do would be disappointing and Ahab would move on to another toy, another idol to pine after. Discontentment works this way. It doesn't matter what you have been given. You always want more. You play with your new Xbox for a season and then you throw it away and pine after the PlayStation 5. You get a new car that you've been desiring and wanting for so long. And then after a month, it starts to smell like your old car. And you don't really care about it that much anymore. You longed for the iPhone 12 and then less than a year it's obsolete and you want the iPhone 13 Pro because that's what you really need to be happy. It doesn't matter how much Ahab gets, he will forever be discontent because he doesn't have faith in the God from whom all gifts come. He is given the entire kingdom of Israel. He's sitting in a palace and he wants his neighbor's vegetable garden. He does not trust that the Lord has given him good gifts. So he covets what the Lord has given someone else. The children's catechism asks, what does the 10th commandment teach you? And the answer that it gives is that we are to be content 
with whatever the Lord chooses to give. Discontentment is distrust. It's ingratitude for the Lord's good provision. Now, in contrast to Ahab's discontentment, we find Naboth. Now, Naboth had much to gain from the deal that Ahab is offering to him. He could obtain more money than his family has ever seen. He could be moved to a larger and more fruitful piece of property. Not only that, if he makes this deal with Ahab, then he becomes the king's friend. He could curry some royal favor and use it to get his son's positions in the administration. To most people, Ahab's offer would have been a once in a lifetime chance to obtain more wealth and more privilege. But he refuses to sell. Why? Well, again, he tells us in verse 3. Look there. You see his words. He says, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. You see, Naboth's vineyard was so much more than a plot of land. It wasn't just the family farm. Rather, it was the inheritance that had been given to his family by the Lord. The Lord delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he brought them to the land of Canaan, the land of freedom. And to each family was given an inheritance, a homestead was given to them by the Lord. And that plot of land was to never be sold or taken away from the family. The law stated in Leviticus 25, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine. You see, Naboth's family had an inalienable right to that piece of land. It was given to them by the Lord. If Naboth would have agreed to Ahab's deal, he would have broken God's law and he would have surrendered not only his right, but his descendants' right, his children and his grandchildren's rights to that land. Money could be spent. Another vineyard could be transferred, but the inheritance of the land was forever. And though there were many benefits to taking the deal, Naboth was content with the gift that the Lord had given to him and to his family. Now as the temptation of Ahab's deal was working in Naboth's heart, he may have been reciting Psalm 16 to himself even as we recited The call to worship. He may have been saying to himself, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You see, Nabat was content with what he had because he had faith in God's Word. The Lord had given my family this land. The lines have fallen for me in this place. I don't need to seek another inheritance. I cannot abandon what I have for the vain promises of something better. Nabah has faith that the inheritance that he has been given is from the Lord and that it is all that he needs. And as you look at these two, I wonder, how would you characterize your own life? Is it like Ahab's? Always seeking after something more? Never happy with what has been given to you? Sullen and pouty when you don't get your way? 
Are you often overcome with the feeling that your life is not fair? That the lines have not fallen for you in pleasant places? Do you get angry when someone receives a gift or a privilege that has not been afforded to you? Are you like Naboth? Content with the blessing that the Lord has given. Trusting in the future reward. You see, the difference is faith. Ahab didn't believe that the Lord's blessing was enough. He needed more. Naboth, on the other hand, trusted that God had rewarded him and his family with a great inheritance and would not give in to the temptation to sell. And if you would be content in this world, then you must look to the reward that is to come. You must place your hope and joy in the inheritance won for you by the Lord Jesus Christ. For by His death, He has delivered you from slavery. And by His resurrection, He has opened the way to a land of everlasting life. The world proclaims to you a gospel of consumerism. If you would be content, all you need is to buy one more thing. One more dress, one more toy, one more car, one more house, one more lavish meal, just one more and then I will be happy. But the Word of God says that you have an inheritance in Christ Jesus that is unfading, undefiled, kept for you in heaven. If you would be content in this life, then you must trust the inheritance that God has given to you. Now the second aspect of Ahab's life that is marked out in this passage beyond his discontentment is his weakness. Ahab acquiesces to everyone. When we began our study of 1 Kings, we read that Ahab was the most wicked king to have ruled Israel up to that point in history. And it's repeated again in this text. And I think that at that point, many of us would imagine that he was some sort of a tyrant. Maybe he was like Napoleon seeking world domination. Maybe he was like Stalin seeking to control everyone's lives and all aspects of their lives. Maybe he's like Hitler, a bloodthirsty madman. But Ahab's really none of these. In some ways, he's kind of a disappointing evil leader. He's feckless and he's weak. As we read more about his life, we find that his wickedness is not defined by his strength, but rather by his weakness. He's a pushover. And every major decision in his life, Ahab gives in to the prevailing voice. Baal worship was not his idea. It was his wife, Jezebel's. When Elijah wins at Mount Carmel, Ahab obeys the voice of Elijah to retreat. He doesn't stand up for his Baal worship. When Ben-Hadad of Syria demands Ahab's wealth, he gives in. When the elders of Israel say to him, no, we aren't going to give in to Syria, Ahab says, okay, we're not going to give in to Syria. When Ben-Hadad asks for grace, he gives him grace. When Naboth says he can't have his vineyard, he goes home and he pouts. When Jezebel says that she'll take the vineyard, he says, okay, go ahead and do it. And when Elijah tells him he's going to die for his wickedness, he repents of his wickedness. Ahab is an evil king because Ahab is a weak king. 
And his weakness is rooted in his lack of trust. Because he stands for absolutely nothing but the preservation of his own miserable life. That's why he gives in at every single opportunity. When you stand for nothing, you'll never stand. You'll always run away. Now we may wonder about Ahab's repentance at the end of our passage. For the text tells us that he humbled himself before the Lord and the Lord responds by delaying judgment. Now of course it's right for Ahab to humble himself before God. But he did it because he was even weak in his rebellion. That's what marks his life. He's so weak in his idolatry that he'll humble himself before God if it means he can live just a little bit longer. But if you're going to rebel, at least do it with some conviction. Either be hot or cold. Don't be this lukewarm mush. You are king of Israel. Be a man and lead. In contrast to Ahab, there's Nabot. The most politically powerful man in the nation comes to Naboth with his request. Sell me your land. As we've already stated, from an earthly perspective, this is a no-brainer. You sell to the king, not only for the reward, but also to avoid the wrath of the king. Kings are not known for taking refusals well. They're used to getting their own way. And yet Naboth had the strength to say no, even though he knew he would lose favor and maybe even his life. You see, Naboth had strength because he stood on the promises of the word of God. The Lord had given his people an inheritance and Naboth believed that the inheritance of the Lord was of greater worth than the offer of Ahab. Naboth was strong because he trusted the future inheritance. In the book of Hebrews, we read concerning Moses, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see, Naboth chose to be mistreated because he considered the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the bribes of Ahab. He could see beyond the immediate gain of money and influence to the eternal gain of trusting in the word of God. And this is the dividing point between Ahab and Naboth. This is why one is weak and one is strong. Ahab had faith in nothing, and so he followed the path of least resistance. And Naboth had faith in the word of the Lord, and so he chose the reproach of Christ over the treasures of this world. And for this choice, he lost his life. Ahab preserves his life, and Naboth loses it. And we might think, well, Ahab made the right choice then. But listen to the words of Christ. For the Lord Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. You see, Ahab saved his life, but in reality, he lost it. And though Naboth was stoned, he gained true life in the Lord. And I wonder... 
How will you walk in strength in the midst of a world that pushes you towards weakness? How will you follow Christ when the Twitter outrage mob comes after you and demands that you apologize for your beliefs in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because anyone who is willing to stand on the truth of the word of God in a public fashion will have the world come after them. If you have the strength to say that marriage is between one man and one woman, if you have the strength to say boys cannot become girls and girls cannot become boys, they were created by God one or the other. If you are willing to publicly say that all forms of pornography are evil, to say that abortion is murder, to say the height of offense that there is only one way to life and life everlasting, and that is through Jesus Christ alone, then people and this world will come against you. And if you have no faith in the future inheritance, then you're going to give in and you're going to submit yourself and you're going to apologize to everyone. But if you have faith in the future inheritance, then you will have strength to stand for what is true and what is right and what is good. So hope in the inheritance of Christ, for that will make you bold. Don't be like Ahab, giving in at every opportunity. Stand for what you believe. Because the inheritance that we have been given in Christ is so much greater than anything this world can offer. Ahab, through his weakness, extended his life for a few extra years. But Naboth gained eternal life. For the Lord Jesus says, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your life. Have faith in the Word of God, Christian. And the promised inheritance of eternal life in Christ Jesus. You see, Ahab's lack of trust made him discontent and made him weak. And finally, his faithlessness made him a slave. If Ahab's life weren't so tragic, it would be comical. He's the most powerful man in Israel. He's the king, but he's a slave to his own sin and his fear. As you see him waver between the various forces, you see that he wants to make his life just a little bit better, right? He wants to be a better person, but he just can't seem to find this place of happiness because he's enslaved to his own self-destructive desires. There's a common philosophy in America today that says, follow your heart. This is the path to happiness and freedom. If you do what your heart leads you to do, then you are going to find fulfillment in this world. But the fruit of this path is only destruction and remorse. For the human heart is extremely deceptive. It's not a good guide. It's a broken compass. It's enslaved to sin. Even as the prophet Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, faith means looking beyond yourself to trust in something 
or someone else. As Christians, we are to trust in Christ. We look to Him and to His Word to guide us to that which is good and therefore how we should live our lives. We are content with what He has given. We are bold to obey His commands and we are free from the fear of the cost of following those demands. But Ahab has no faith. He follows a heart that's enslaved to sin and so every decision he makes is bound to lead to more and more destruction. Even his humbling before God is a show of faithlessness and weakness. This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And Ahab is so enslaved by sin that even his grief leads to death. Naboth, on the other hand, is free. We might wonder how one who is killed is free, but it is the fear of death that truly enslaves us. And faith frees us from such a fear. Even as we saw two weeks ago in the book of Hebrews, that God, through Jesus Christ, delivered us from the power of death, that we may no longer be held captive to the fear of death. You see, it is the fear of death that holds our hearts in slavery. Ahab continually ran from death because he didn't have faith in the word of God. Yet Naboth was willing to stand strong on the promises of God because he was free from such a fear. You see, faith believes the word of God and looks forward to the reward of eternal life. Yes, there are benefits to extending your life here on earth, but the true reward is life everlasting. What do you gain, Christian, if you live a few years longer but lose your soul? Naboth was free because Naboth had faith in the Word of God. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, encouraged them, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore. Trust in Christ's reward that makes us free. Free from our slavery to the world and to sin. Now, Naboth's faith is centered on God's promise of an inheritance. This promise was connected to the land of Israel, to a particular plot of land, his vegetable garden. But it was a sign of a greater inheritance that was to come. This greater inheritance is a promise of a land renewed, filled with life, even life everlasting. It is this inheritance that Paul points us to in the book of Ephesians. He says, in him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Christian, do you want to walk in contentment? Do you want to walk in strength? Do you want to walk in freedom? then you must look to the inheritance that is to come. In Christ you have freedom. 
So don't look to your own resources, but look to the spirit that was that is within you. Have faith in the word of God, for you have a promise of an inheritance that is far greater than any reward here on earth. Have faith in that future reward given to you in Christ and you will walk like Nabat, content, strong and free. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we confess that we are weak, that we are often discontent, and we are often enslaved by fear. We pray that You would give us the grace to see the future inheritance that we have gained in Christ Jesus. And that all the vain promises of this world would fade away. And that we would with boldness and strength walk as sojourners in this world with our eyes fixed on a better country, a better city, the city of God. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.